Welcome to Intuitive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Kirsten Ackerman, the Intuitive RD. I'm a non-diet registered dietitian and intuitive eating coach. My mission is to help women recover from diet culture and heal their relationship to food and body. Follow along as I speak with leading professionals in the field and explore concepts of intuitive eating, health at every size, and body liberation. This episode of Intuitive Bites Podcast is brought to you by Workweek Lunch. This is something that has been a lifesaver for me. Workweeklunch.com has an amazing, affordable meal planning tool that's all about saving you time, effort, and money when it comes to your meals so you can get more out of life. We all know how meal planning can be a bit overwhelming, especially when you're trying to figure out where it fits in while working on your relationship with food with intuitive eating. That's where workweeklunch.com shines. With easy-to-follow, delicious meal plans, it takes the guesswork out of what to cook and helps you focus more on enjoying your food. What I personally love about Workweek Lunch is how it simplifies decision-making around food in the moment. No more decision fatigue about meals leading to grazing throughout the day and ultimately not feeling good. Workweek Lunch makes your life easier, giving you back those precious hours for things you love beyond the kitchen. If you're ready to get organized with your food in a way that supports, not hinders, your relationship with food, head over to workweeklunch.com slash intuitive dash bites for five of my favorite meal prep recipes that will help you totally rethink what it means to meal plan. Save time, enjoy your food, and take the stress out of mealtime with Workweek Lunch. Hey guys, welcome to episode 171 of Intuitive Bites. Today I'm chatting with Rebecca King, who you may know from Instagram as ADHD.nutritionist, and we're talking all about ADHD and how it relates to the intuitive eating healing journey, both from the lens of how having an ADHD diagnosis may have contributed to some disordered patterns around food, as well as how having ADHD may complicate or change the way you approach this healing process. Uh, So really, really interesting conversation here. I'm excited to share it with you, especially if you're somebody who is thinking you might have ADHD or has an ADHD diagnosis. Definitely a lot of really good stuff in this conversation. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to let you guys know that there are only like three days left to get your application in for my three-month one-on-one intuitive eating coaching program. Applications close on February 20th, so this coming Tuesday. So if you are in a place where you are really seeking that guidance and support along your intuitive eating journey, now is definitely the time uh, to get inside of my program. So submit a quick application. The link is in my bio on Instagram at the intuitive underscore RD. And I'm also going to put the link below this episode so you can quickly click it and go from there. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get into my conversation with Rebecca. All right, Becca. Well, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad that we are going to have a little bit of a chance to talk here today. Yes. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Of course. So yeah, can you just start off by telling us a little bit about the work that you do and how you got into it? Yeah. So I work with um, adults with ADHD that struggle with disordered eating and eating is usually what my clients struggle with the most. Um, So I kind of help them learn how to eat intuitively despite having ADHD because I think that adds some extra challenges because it's not just the diet culture 
stuff that we're untangling, but there's also all the things that because of ADHD make eating more challenging. Um, so there's sometimes like unintentional restriction and things like that happening, um, that kind of having to navigate some of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got into this work back in like 2020, I knew I wanted to like people with intuitive eating and healing a relationship with food. And I was thinking about my own journey with food and things. And I was like, there's this whole ADHD aspect and there's nobody talking about it. And back in 2020, it was like everything for ADHD was geared towards kids. There was like start, that was kind of when there was starting to be more conversations about ADHD in adults. And I was like, and it was all just like, eat this, not that diety, just like unhelpful things. And like, what happens to all these kids when they become adults and now have to feed themselves and don't know, like get overwhelmed in the kitchen. So they're just like, screw it. I'm just going to go eat fast food or get like live off of takeout. Not that those things are necessarily bad, but like, you know, it's expensive to do and it doesn't always make us feel great. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think kind of learning how to tweak the framework a little bit to work with our brains because I have ADHD as well. Yeah, so interesting. And I agree, there's like a gap in, you know, the resources in this way. So I was, uh, you know, glad to see your account and the content you're putting out. Uh, So what is your background, I guess, that led you here? Yeah, I actually worked in weight loss was my first job (laughs) and I hated it. It was like, I was like, I want more. I did my internship at a VA hospital. So like I didn't get a ton of, I got some outpatient experience, but I like most of my patients were older adults. Um, so I was like, I want more counseling experience. And I was like, Oh, I'll be able to like get around diet culture. Like, I don't know why I thought that I was like, I can get around diet culture and still help people with their relationship with food. And I was very wrong. Yeah. Uh, Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I was like, "Mm," right when the pandemic happened, we also had a patient who was bulimic and Mm. I was like, I we we can't see her for weight loss, and they tried to argue with me that like because of her BMI, she needs weight loss. And I was like, she's actively engaging in eating disorder behaviors. Like this is not the place for her. We don't have a protocol for this. Like we don't have anything. And they're like, we see everyone, and if you have a problem with that, like you should probably find another job. And then I had to get stay home because I like got sick around the beginning of the pandemic, and um. Then they passed the unemployment stuff. So I was like, can you just leave me off? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, this is my sign to like start my practice. And that's yes. when I just, I had a lot of free time in 2020. So I could like deep dive into ADHD beyond like yeah. my own lived experience. And like probably like late high school through like my early 20s, I really struggled with, ran the gambit of eating disorders. So it was kind of, once I found intuitive eating, it was that finally that like, aha thing for me at first I totally thought it was woo though I was like <laughs> what is this like yeah. I remember seeing like Rachel Hartley and other people like uh, in eating intuitively on social media I was like what are these di-? I was in grad school for nutrition I was like what are these dietitians doing this is ridiculous and I was like you can't listen to your body right no like what and then I was like wait you've done every fad thing that exists you've tried every restriction possible and and all of it made your binging worse so like I was like why not give this a try because I've tried everything else and then yes. finally it was like oh this is it and it was 
it was quite a relief to realize that like I didn't have to do those things right to stop binging so yeah definitely resonates yeah and I'm sure with the context of like your knowledge of ADHD as well it kind of like yeah everything aligned and made a lot of sense yeah very cool okay so let's talk about a little bit more about ADHD um so I guess my question for you is like to start off like how is ADHD defined like I feel like it's like it is like thrown around a lot. Also, like, I feel like everyone is very much self-diagnosing, including myself. Like, I'm kind of like, okay, maybe I have this too. Like, so I'm curious, like kind of your thoughts on that as well of like, yeah, is there really as much ADHD as like everyone's thinking that and it wasn't, oh, we weren't aware of it before. So yeah, start with definition and then, yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. So it's considered like a neurobehavioral disorder and there's three types of ADHD. So there's like the classic type that most people think of, which is like hyperactive types, so like the boy bouncing off the walls who can't pay attention. That's like the, you know, the impulsive kid. That is one type. Um, and then there's the uh, combined type, which is like a mix of um, the hyperactive and then the inattentive, which is usually like a lot of women tend to be more inattentive. Okay. Um, and ADHD traditionally was studied in like little boys. So, and it tends to present a little bit differently, um, in girls and women. And so that I think is why for so long, a lot of women weren't diagnosed and there is such an uptick in diagnosis. I also think the pandemic really did change things for people because all of our structures and our routines and all the things that kind of help you stick to things or all those tools kind of went out the window for people. So then it became really obvious that like, oh, I have to sit down and work and I'm not in like a work environment that's structured for me to keep me on task. And now I don't know how to do that. Um, And just noticing, yeah, all those things. So I think it kind of like having more knowledge of ADHD, more people talking about how it actually presents and it not just being like, oh, I can't pay attention um, type of thing um, has helped people kind of have more awareness for it. It does present like a lot of other things though, too. So I think um, while self-diagnosis is totally valid because there's a lot of barriers in a lot of places to getting a diagnosis, um, it can be helpful if you have access to getting evaluated to actually make sure that it is ADHD, especially if you want to have more access to more options for like getting it more treated or managed. A diagnosis can really open the, the door to getting more tailored support. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So this inattentive, I guess, presentation, most of my listeners are women. So can you like give, yeah, give a little more insight into like what that would look like? How would that Yeah. somebody? So that tends to be someone who's like, maybe it looks like more of a baby, like a daydreamer. Um, You might be someone who really struggles with with, like finishing things, like completing tasks because you might get distracted acted um that type of thing there's six there's nine criteria for each hyperactive and impulsive type okay i don't know all of them off the top of my head yeah. and generally you have to have like six of the nine from one to be diagnosed and then if you have six of the nine of each of them um there then you have the combined type um Interesting. which is what i have so I have some hyperactivity and then i also have some like inattentiveness okay so um, yeah, and it unfortunately because it was studied in boys in a very small um, age range, a lot of the like diagnostic criteria is things that don't really apply to adults. Like can't sit still in their chair, um, like very child 
behaviors. So there is a new, there will be guidelines coming out, I believe this fall for ADHD and adults like management and things like that. So I'm really hoping that the criteria will be updated because a lot of it's like, okay, well, that's not like, like, like doesn't can't finish their homework or their homework's always late. And it's like, okay, well that we can't apply that to adults. And like, so interesting. Yeah. you do realize now, like there was a, there was a lot of like, oh, you grow out of it. Um, but you don't really, most people don't grow out of ADHD. It just kind of changes as you get older. Like a lot of it becomes some, our hyperactivity often becomes more internalized. So you might not be necessarily a fidgety person when you get older, but mentally you're hyperactive in the sense that there's a lot going on up there, but that doesn't to, you know, obviously we can't see that. Um, so it's hard for people to be like, Oh, you just grew out of it. And it's like, most people don't grow out of ADHD because like your brain is structured differently if you have ADHD. So like, it's not growing, like you're not growing out of it. Yeah. Um, I think Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So talk to me about yeah. the impact on relationship with food. If you have ADHD, like what are you seeing that looking? Yeah. yeah. So there's something I see a lot is eating for stimulation. So like our brains are, and it, this is a very oversimplified version of ADHD of thinking it as like our brains have less dopamine. That's not totally accurate, but that's like the easiest way to explain it yeah. is we have less dopamine. So we're always seeking ways to get stimulation and food is a quick, easy source, especially carbs of dopamine. And again, during the pandemic, like when we had couldn't go out into the world and do things like that are stimulating for us, like even socializing with people can be a way of getting dopamine. Um, and so we can't do those things. Food, I think became for a lot of people, something they relied on more for stimulation and for like emotional eating and things like that. Um, and not that those things are bad. Like I, I approach eating for stimulation, like I'm um, like eating for emotional, emotional reasons of like, yes, it might not be the always the most helpful thing, or it shouldn't be our only coping strategy, yes. but shaming or demonizing those behaviors isn't helpful. Same yep. thing with eating for stimulation. Um, so it tends to be foods that, or anything that has like a really fun sensory experience in your mouth. So like a lot of ADHD is like crunchy foods, um, even carbonated drinks, like the fizz, yeah. um, things like that. Um, and then obviously sugar, um, is stimulating interoceptions, another big thing. So like that tends to be, even if you're not on a stimulant medication, it can be harder for us to hear our body cues. Like I know in, like in the book intuitive eating, they're like, you know, when you have the cue to go to the bathroom, you just get up and go to the bathroom. And like <laughs> people with ADHD, don't necessarily do that. Like you could be sitting here and being like, I need to pee, but I need to finish this email. And you will override your body cues because you want to finish the task or you're afraid if you stop, you're not going to be able to finish it. Um, so even that happens with hunger where um, you'll push it off or you'll be like, let me do this thing. And then you forget. And yeah. then hours go by. And then all of a sudden, like hunger smacks you in, in the face and it's like, you need food now. And then it's whatever you can, you know, what's the quickest, fastest thing I can eat. And it's often the things that don't make us feel our best. Yeah. Um, so I think those are things I see a lot of, and then executive functioning challenges. So like being able to meal plan can be hard. Um, yeah. Being able to actually execute what you've had, like getting in the kitchen and being like, I need to make a meal, but I don't know where to start. Um, yeah. so those things can be challenging and sensory issues are another thing that's often really common. Like, um, and I think that's why a lot of ADHDers like 
processed foods is because they're reliable sensory wise, like 99.9% .9 of the time when you open a bag of chips or cookies, really anything processed, it's going to taste and have this texture that you're expecting, but like fresh fruits and vegetables and things like that. Like I, blackberries are like very hit or miss for me. Sometimes they taste like chemicals and then other times they're delicious. And I'm like, and it, like, it just depends, but you don't know. And I don't know if there's, I, when I look at them, I can't tell you what they're going to be. Um, and so I think acknowledging that is really helpful because people will feel like I'm so bad for eating processed foods, but it's like, but why? Like there's some research that drives me nuts on ADHD and like dietary patterns. And they're like, well, people with ADHD tend to have more like quote unquote unhealthy dietary patterns. And it's like, yeah, but why? Like, yes. I know this as a dietitian who works with this population, but why? And they basically were, didn't go down that route. They went the, so this must be why poor people have ADHD. And it was like, no, you're missing the why here. And just saying, oh, because this correlation exists. If you eat more unhealthy foods, then you're more likely to have ADHD. And it's like, I don't think that's the right way to be interpreting this as someone who right. works with this population and has ADHD. Like when I did my whole clean eating, I still had ADHD. Like right. it didn't go away. No. So like, and, or when I still like was afraid of processed foods, yeah. I still had ADHD. <laughs> so interesting. So. Okay. I want to ask you about too, something that you mentioned. So like, I think you mentioned that like binge eating is like a common co-occurring thing with ADHD. So talk yeah. more about that. Yeah. So I think that dopamine piece, like, okay. Um, plays into it. Like people will eat as a way to get stimulation and often while we're doing other things. So like, I'm going to go sit down and watch a TV show. I need something else to do. I'm going to go grab my, you know, yummy bag of potato chips and then you're disconnected and which makes it even harder to regulate our eating. And then before you know it, you've eaten the whole bag of potato chips. Um, so like, yeah, there's a strong correlation with ADHD and binge eating and bulimia. Both those two are um, much more common. And I think some of it's having to deal with just regulation in general. So like emotional dysregulation is very common in ADHD. So food, again, can be a way to regulate our emotions. And I think for women get diagnosed later in life, they've been self-medicating often. A lot of my clients who struggle with binge eating have basically been self-medicating in a sense with food for ADHD without really knowing it. They're like, I have clients who are like, I'm always eating, but I'm not hungry, but I don't understand why I feel like I need to eat all the time. And then they get on medication and their brain has that dopamine. They're like, now I see, like, now I can eat regularly. I can actually like eat a meal and and not eat in between my like, you know, meal and my next snack or whatever it is. Um, so it makes a big difference, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, so interesting as well. So yeah. And that interoception, I have a lot of clients who will like not eat all day, whether they're medicated or not, they'll, you know, get busy with their day or their meds suppress their appetite. And then late afternoon, evening, it's like they relax or their meds were off or a mix of both. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. And at that point, we all know that even if you don't have ADHD, if you haven't eaten all day, it's really hard to like to not, you know, basically play catch up totally. from, from your day. Exactly. So. Okay. So I have a feeling that so many people listening to this are going to be resonating with so much of what you're saying in terms of their behaviors and these experiences. So 
I know this is a big question, but I guess for that person that is listening is like, oh my God, this is me. I do all of these things. Like what are a couple of top tips that you have for them now? Yeah. For right now. I, especially if you're wanting to eat intuitively, I think practical hunger is huge for ADHD years because that can help you eat, try to get on a more regular eating pattern of like, Hey, even if I don't have reliable hunger cues, trying to eat every three to four hours, especially if you know, okay, I get to the end of the day and I overeat or I binge starting to just focus. That's usually where I start with a lot of my clients is like, I don't care necessarily even what you're eating, just like eat every three to four hours. And once we can get that down, we can start playing around with like what maybe some of those foods are um, in terms of like making sure you're like, you know, eating some protein when you have your carbs, things like that. Like, you know, but that I find is like a big piece that helps a lot of my clients. And they're like, Oh, now. And then they start to recognize their hunger cues a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Practical practical hunger. hunger? Okay. Got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I find that one is really helpful. So yeah. So meaning just like like, consistently. Yeah. Yeah. So like, um, yeah, like even if you're not hungry being like, Hey, I probably, especially if you're medicated, um, you might not feel hungry, but that doesn't mean you don't need to eat because it like, you're basically just running on empty. Like your meds are, it's going to, if you eat with your meds, they will be more effective versus like relying on them, just like relying on caffeine to get you through the day. Like it doesn't, it's not, gonna, it's not, it's not the best way to, to get through your day. Yeah. So I would say yeah. eating consistently is a big yeah. thing. Exploring if like eating for stimulation is a big thing. Exploring other tools for stimulation Got is it. huge. So like movement's a really great source of stimulation. Um, I use fidgets a lot um, because I need something to do with my hands. Like some of my clients will say, I need something to do with my hands or my mouth. And I know I'm not hungry. Like I just ate dinner. 20 minutes ago and now I'm sitting down on the couch to watch TV and I just feel like I really need a snack but they're like but I know I I like just want something to do so like having fidgets there's something called jewelry which is like chewable jewelry so for some people who need like an oral stim that can be a better option than like chewing gum is great but if you are like me and you've chewed a lot of gum it can cause issues with your jaw so it's something to be mindful of. Um, like I've chewed, like I started chewing gum in middle school because bouncing my feet annoyed my classmates. So I realized that I could chew gum and be moving in my seat without disturbing my classmates. Mm-hmm. So I was like the kid since like sixth grade. I always, my mom would go to Costco and get me the like packs of gum because I would chew so much gum because yeah. um, just needed something to do. Yeah. Um, but that's not always like the best best thing but yeah finding other tools okay that can help um so that food just isn't the only thing that you're relying on especially if you know like I really am not actually hungry um and just trying to be like more mindful or paying attention more to like the sensory aspects of food can kind of help maximize some of that dopamine you're getting because okay. like yeah. if that sensory experience is what you're seeking out or like you really want to hone in on the taste and the texture like if you're doing, if you're eating while you're doing three other things, like you're on your phone and watching a TV show and like doing something else and trying to eat, like you're not going to get any satisfaction from that. So like, even if it's, Hey, I'm at least going to power down a couple of things while I eat, you know, trying to hone into that can help, like help you feel satisfied. So you don't feel like you need to keep 
eating and eating and eating to feel satisfied while you're kind of distracted. So, um, those would be probably like some big things that I would say. Yeah, that's really helpful. I guess I, I think about with some of these things that you're pointing out, um, that for some folks, at least in the beginning of experimenting with some of these things, like trying to bring in some other tools for stimulation or whatever, that it could trigger feelings of restriction of like, oh, I can't have the food. Do you find that sometimes? Not as often. So okay. surprisingly, um, but I think it's also because I'm very much encouraged and I'm like, you can find other tools for stimulation, but if I have like a little decision tree on my Instagram, if you want to look at it, where it's kind of like, am I fit? Like, am I experiencing any signs of hunger? Like, is this hunger or like, am I looking for dopamine? Am I experiencing any signs of hunger that I can pinpoint? If so, obviously go eat. If not, when was the last time I ate? If it's been three plus hours since you've eaten, you might want to eat something. Um, if not, like if you feel like you need to do something with your hands or your mouth, or you like can tell you're just looking for stimulation of checking in and being like, what would be most helpful in the moment? And if it's food, go for it. Like let yourselves do that and enjoy it. Like I said, try to be more mindful with it. If not try something else or kind of like some of my clients will do um, be like, okay, I'm going to at least go try that thing. And and I'll be like, and if, if it's not doing the trick, you can still go eat afterwards. Like I had a client a couple of weeks ago who was like, I just keep eating for stimulation. She's like, if I really need to go for a walk. So she's like, I want to move my body. And she's like, I just need to like, I just need to get out the door. She lives in a really cold climate right now. So it's like, yeah, it's probably hard to want to get all dressed up and go in the cold. I totally get that. Um, so I was like, I was like, just go for the walk. If you want to eat afterwards, you can. And she was like, any, she was like, even just acknowledging that, like, I'm doing that. I want to do that for stimulation, but I know walking would be better. Even just saying it out loud, just like, it makes it a little bit easier to go actually do the thing. Um, so I often find, I think it's just that balance, just like with emotional eating being like, Hey, if, if you need to do that, that's okay. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean you're being restrictive. Yeah. If you feel like you're not allowing yourself to eat for stimulation, then you're pro you probably might be restricting in some way. Um, but trying yeah, to just like be like, I'm allowed to do this. Cause like, yes. yeah. Cause like, there's no point in saying I'm never going to do it. Even psychiatrists and psychologists, which is so nice that work with ADHD will be like, there's no point even with like being like, Oh, I should eat something healthier than being like, if you really want chocolate, for instance, to eat as your food for stimulation, eating a salad is not going to do it. And I, I'm like, yes, thank you for like acknowledging that because like, it's not the same. Um, some people be like, I'll just eat this healthier thing. I'm like, that's great. Like if you want to go eat carrots, you totally can for stimulation. But if you know, chocolate's going to do the trick, like they're not the same. Like they're yes. just not. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, that's really helpful. Okay. So much of this has been amazing. Thank you for everything you've shared today. Thank you yeah. for sharing that decision tree too. I think people will find that helpful. So can you tell everyone where they can find you on Instagram online, as well as like any offerings that you currently have? Yeah. So I'm most active on Instagram at ADHD.nutritionist. I'm also on Facebook too. Um, and then I do have a 10 week small group coaching program that's kind of like a crash course in intuitive eating from an ADHD lens. And I usually start a group about every month ish. Okay. So um, if anyone is 
in need of support in that sense, or you want explore intuitive eating from an ADHD perspective, I find sometimes that can be the missing piece for some of my clients who have tried intuitive eating. They're like, just need someone to help adapt it to their brain a little bit. I think that can make a big difference um, for some people because it's just like, I'm trying these things, but it's not quite quite working the way I think intuitive eating, like I want it to work. And so just kind of being able, but I think intuitive eating is so important to acknowledge that it's like, it's a framework and it's adaptable for you and your needs. And it's not just like, uh, like, it's not like a diet where there's these hard, fast rules, or you have to do it this way or else you're not eating intuitively. Um, and I think that is so important to acknowledge for people because yeah. I think we get tripped up, in it, especially if you're coming from diet culture, right? Like where you're like, oh, well, if I'm not, I have to eat when I'm hungry or like, I always have to stop right when I'm full yeah. or I'm failing at intuitive eating. And it's like, that's not quite it, but yes. like we're getting there. <laughs> exactly. It's so hard to like make that oh. shit out of that rigid thinking. Um, but that's so helpful. Thanks oh, for yeah. a little bit about where people can find you and I was yeah. find information on that offering, like on your Instagram or in your link somewhere there. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's the first link in my link tree. If anyone wants to like chat with me, I do have a free discovery call. And um, so if you click that link, we can set up a call and chat. So. Awesome. Thank you again so much, Becca. This has been so helpful. Yes. All right, guys, that is a wrap on episode 171. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at ADHD.nutritionist. And just a final reminder that if you're in that place where you are really stuck in patterns of binge eating and overeating and mindless eating, emotional eating, you're struggling with guilty and shameful thoughts around food and body, and or maybe you're in a place where you just really want to figure out how do I support my long-term health in a way that's not going to spiral me back to diet mentality thinking and ultimately just lead to rebellion and rebound. I would love to support you on your healing journey. I'm accepting applications into my three month one-on-one intuitive eating coaching program through Tuesday, February 20th. So if you're listening to this as the episode is released, this is the perfect time to get your application in. The link is over on my bio on Instagram at the intuitive underscore RD. And I'm also going to leave it right below this episode so you can quickly access it. All right, guys, I hope you have a great week and I'll talk to you soon.